prepare to study Isaiah 58, um, I want to, as always, do a long introduction. First thing I want to share with you is I've been gone for two weeks, as you know. Uh, the first Sunday I was gone, uh, David Brody filled in. I got a couple of folks that I heard m- more uh, of the name of Trump than I heard of Jesus. Understood. Um, and David Brody, I told him I kind of wanted him to share his testimony. And, and, and David's got great stories, and he, he's funny, and, and I, I know it was difficult for a few folks. Um, but I wanted to le- let you know something. As I started to contemplate David coming, we had a profound conversation Sunday night after the service. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was deeply ministering to him. And I, I realized that he didn't necessarily come to minister to you. He came so that you could minister to him. And the love he received from the congregation blessed his heart so deeply, and the conversation we had that night touched him, and it was desperately needed for him. And I just wanted to say thank you. He did the best he could. He's not a preacher. And I, I thought, at listening to it, the concerns were valid, but I also thought, too, he did a really good job. And then the following Sunday when we had uh, Pastor Brad Cummings, I was blown away by that. I've listened to that sermon twice, so love that guy. Uh, and, and all of the reason why is um, I, had, I had made a commitment to the core church in Los Angeles. I'm on their board of directors a long time ago. I, I, I hate being out of the pulpit on Sundays. Um, this coming year, I've only, I'm only scheduled to miss one Sunday, and that's when we take everyone to Israel. Um, and I, I miss these two Sundays, and it was heavy on my heart. I was only planning on missing one uh, to fill in for, for Steve Wilburn at the core church in Los Angeles, which was last Sunday. Well, then Nets Gomez, the pastor of one of the largest Hispanic churches in northern Los Angeles, he's got about 3,000 Hispanics in his congregation, he asked me to come out. And he put me on his radio show, 350,000 listeners, and every time I'm with him, I have to be translated from English into Spanish. And I didn't know how I'd be received, and, and uh, in both of the places that I talked, and I know this is really hard to process, but I was actually very political in both of those locations. Thought that'd be funnier. Uh, at Nets Gomez's church, uh, they warmly received me. Uh, it was it was so profound. And and uh, at the uh, core church in Los Angeles, especially addressing issues of our state and going through this concept of Christians stepping into the public square, they responded. And most of the congregation at, at uh, Steve's church uh, are are not the color skin that I am. And yet those were the ones after the service, and there were over 30 people in each of the services gave their heart to the Lord and would come up and meet with me. And Steve would, you know, his process is he sits at the back of the church and greets every person leaving. So I knew I had to do that. Well, uh, and, and the same thing with Nets Gomez's church. And this has been an interesting two weeks because uh, prior to launching those two weeks and having agreed to speak, I was doing my morning devotion. I have a one-year Bible. It's paper-bound. My wife has a one-year Bible that's leather-bound. And I was reading my devotion, and I came across the passage we're going to be studying this morning in Isaiah 58. Well, Isaiah 58 says, the Lord basically says, this is the fast that I desire. And I, oh, fast. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm glad he desires that. Uh, oh, what does he want to do during that fast? Oh, those are interesting. And I'm reading through it going, yeah, that's okay, good, good study. And the whole time I'm reading it, as I wait and I start to journal and praying, the Lord's saying, I want you to do a fast. And I thought, well, I'm going to see if my wife is getting the same thing. So I go to my wife and I, I said, honey, uh, are you moved by the passage that I am? I'm in Isaiah 58. She says, oh, my Bible doesn't cover that. And I said, you know what? I think the Lord wants me to read your Bible. 
Um, and and I, I, I just kept reading it and I thought, yes, Lord, you want me to go into a fast? Now, I'm not a guy who fasts. Um, Don McClure, who is the head of the Calvary Chapel Association, he's the, the, the head guy in, in, in all the Calvary movement. And Don was my pastor. And he had given me a compliment that has never been equaled in all the Calvary chapels. He said to me specifically, and it's a great compliment, it's one of the most prolific honors I've ever received. He said, I want to know the word of God like Rob McCoy knows food. (laughs) Fasting is foreign to me. I've fasted a few of occasions in the past, and every one of them has been a struggle. And during those fasts, I just spend most of the time going to and from the refrigerator looking at the things that will soon be returning to my life. I watch the Food Channel, the Food Network, Chopped. I watch them all. And, and at the end of it, I feel as though I've done some things, and the Lord speaks to me in some capacity, but they've never been easy. And this fast was... was uh, somewhat intimidating because God had put uh, a two-week span on it. And the very first night that I did it, uh, we were invited over to the Merrill's house and they were serving pizza. And I love pizza. It's one of the food groups. And that was a struggle. And then the second day it came, all of a sudden the hunger lifted. And it was a very interesting time. And this was a water-only fast. And I'm not bragging. And, and people say, you know, don't, you know, you have to fast in private. God publicly wanted this to be for the church. And, and it is not me because this is not something I do, nor is it anything I enjoy. So have that understood. If, if you want to give credit to Rob, it doesn't exist. All I think of during the previous fast was food. I'm a terrible faster. And, and as I entered into this fast after the second day, all of a sudden the hunger pains just were gone. Um, I, I, I preached three sermons at Netz's church, three sermons at, at, well, four sermons at Netz's church, three sermons at Steve Wilburn's church. I officiated a memorial service. I went to, uh, at the close of the fast, I went to uh, Santa Barbara, spoke for four hours uh, while they, they serve food to everybody and I'm drinking water uh, and I was talking the entire four hours because they were fielding questions and, and asking things and, and then I, we went back yesterday David Lane and I went back I spoke again and all this is taking place and the memorial services were found and it took a long time and each of the times the day before I'd be exhausted and I just think maybe I have to break this fast in order to fulfill my responsibilities as a pastor I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be a restored and renewed energy and I would go through it supernaturally I don't know how to describe it I remember being exhausted at the core church uh, we were at the second service it was packed and, and I, I, I just was feeling a little weak I drank some water I prayed and I, I couldn't even gather my thoughts, couldn't remember what my sermon was. It was bizarre. They invite me up. I, I get up there. I don't have notes. And the Lord's strength comes upon me. His wisdom comes upon me. His discernment comes upon me. And I know it sounds creepy, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but it was almost like an out-of-body experience. It's like I'm here watching myself preach, and I'm putting phrases together and coming up with insights that I'd never studied, and I'm over here going, man, i got to get the CD on that. That is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just so moved by it and watching people's lives touch, realizing that's not me. I'm not even really there. It's just God using a vessel. 
And it was, it was, it was touching and moving. I, I remember some of the things we do is, you know, 80% of the, and I've read this, 80% of the body's energy is, is directed towards ingesting, digesting, and eliminating food. So when you're just drinking water, you have 80% more energy. I, I literally sleep fly, five hours a night. I'd be up at four o'clock in the morning. I would voraciously read. I, I read three books, 1,400 pages. I was in the Word. I was praying. I would take cat naps through the course of the day. Sometimes I'd really crash and, and sleep for a few hours. But I would fall asleep praying and awaken praying. And it was this communion with the Lord unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And one of the things I want you to know is I haven't weighed myself in a year. I have no idea what I weigh. People say, how much weight have you lost? I don't know. I didn't enter into the fast to lose weight. And if you're thinking about entering into a fast to lose weight, don't do it. Unless your doctor says to. Don't do it. That's not what God is calling you to. If he's calling you to a fast, it's because you've been called to it. And all the other fasts I've ever done, this one I was called to it and it was effortless. And in the course of it where all of a sudden food isn't an issue but the Lord is, my heart is being unified and being broken in ways I'd never experienced. And, and he's giving me discernment with what we're facing as a city, as a state, as a nation. I'm praying for folks individually. There are folks who's got, who have children that are in bondage through drugs or, or depression or a myriad of things. And I'm interceding, asking God to deliver them, lift these bonds, lift these struggles. I, I'm interceding on behalf of all the contention in the country. And I, I'm finding myself praying more than I'd ever prayed before. And praying for this fellowship. And as I continue to pray, I want you to know one thing that put, was put on my heart is the joy I have that, that God put in my heart for all of you and what God is doing here. And I listened to Brad's sermon, Pastor Brad's sermon, and I was touched because I really believe it was a prophetic statement. And I believe God is doing a remarkable work in and through this location. And Isaiah 58 spoke to me specifically in relation to our fellowship. So it, it, was, a, it was a remarkable number of weeks. And grateful that you gave me the privilege to do what I did. And it was a challenge, but it was a blessing. And so I want to share with you all of the fruits of that as we take a look at the verse God called me to. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 6. Verse 6 begins with, is this not the fast that I have chosen? I want to, it's a weird way of saying this is the fast that I have chosen, right? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide your flesh from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, and then you shall call and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. 
If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. God, thank you for your word and how refreshing and blessed it is to us. And God, we ask that you would lead us into all truth, that you would take this passage and refresh your people, encourage them, inspire them. And Lord, we commit all this to you and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now have a seat. Surprisingly, the only place in, uh, in the law of Moses that commands fasting uh, is in the afflicting of, or the affliction of the soul that you find in uh, association with the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. Uh, Jews practice fasting. Fasting is doing without. Uh, we know that Moses fasted for 40 days. We know that Jesus fasted for 40 days. We know that David fasted when his son was dying. We know that Elijah fasted. We see throughout the scriptures in a number of places in Ezra where pe- people fasted. In Daniel, he fasted uh, on one occasion for three weeks. And uh, Saul of Tarsus fasted for three days. Uh, God has done a number of things through fasting. And they would practice these fasts and they would, they would step into these fasts for very important reasons, some of which we've lost in the body of Christ. And I think about the picture of Jesus when he comes off the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. As they're coming off the Mount of Transfiguration, the other nine uh, disciples or apostles are trying to cast out a demon from a, a man's son. And they were ineffectual in casting out the demon. Jesus shows up, he prays, demons cast out. The other nine look at Jesus, they said, how come you could do it and we couldn't? And Jesus said, these type only come out through fasting and prayer. I've read that and I thought that's kind of funky. I mean, you fast and pray and you can cast out a demon. And I thought, why is fasting so significant and why is this the case? And as I got to Isaiah 58, where you loose the bonds of wickedness, bonds are chains, bonds are, are restraints that hold you. And what you're doing in fasting, which is interesting to me, is you're aligning yourself with the will of God because all of your strength, all of your vitality, all of your will is yielded. Uh, you know, the, the, they've often said the four most intense drives of a male is his uh, need for air, three minutes, need for water, three days, need for food, 40 days, and his sex drive. And if you struggle over, you know, immoral thoughts and the like, you put these three on hold and you'll have victory over the fourth. And, and our drive for food is, is only in submission to air and water. And, and, and so when you submit the food, it, it breaks the, the hindrances over here in an immoral drive sexually, and it also affects you so that you're aligned with the Lord in so many ways because food is, is such a driving factor, especially in the body of Christ. And we, you know, the joke here is we don't call it Calvary Chapel, we call it Calorie Chapel. Everything revolves around food. And I like that. I think, you know, food brings fellowship. But when you take a guy like me and you, you remove him from food, something is miraculous, right? And people come up to me and go, you look so good. How much weight have you lost? I go, I don't know. And I looked good before I lost the weight. 
Because for us, it's all physical. We, we look at the structure. We look at the outward appearance. This never had anything to do with me losing weight. I don't care if you think I lost weight. I, I don't care if you think I look better. I entered in because I wanted my heart aligned with him. I wanted to be obedient. And in doing that, God did something remarkable in my life as he started to open my eyes to this idea that everyone around us in some capacity, I got a number of congregants calling me saying, will you pray for my child? Will you pray for my brother? Will you pray for my sister? Will you pray for my parents? Will you pray for my uncle? Will you pray? And I'm looking around and I'm seeing, especially as I'm watching the political spectrum, I'm stepping into Santa Barbara and seeing what they're dealing with up there. And they want to have happen in Santa Barbara what's happening here in Thousand Oaks. As I'm looking at our candidates and some of our, our school board members and watching how they're being beaten up and John Anderson having to step out of being in the in, in the uh, school board because of heart issues. I'm watching Tom Hunt deal with uh, you know, a heart issue, physical. Uh, I'm watching Sandy Everett lose her, hu- or, excuse me, lose her son, her brother, excuse me. And, and I, I, I'm still struggling trying to get my thoughts back. And, and, I'm, and I see all this happen. And the intensity is hitting and hitting and hitting. And I'm watching as people are, are being visceral and angry and, and, and watching across the country and seeing people tear signs and scream at somebody. And it's almost demonic. And I'm realizing that there's, there's two divergent ideologies. There are those that love God and want to honor him and serve him. And there are those who reject him and want to do their own thing. And they result in ideologies that are opposing. And now we're contending for the soul of the nation. And we're contending for California. We have one candidate that has no desire to honor God, wants to remove religious liberty, is excited about this idea of, of you know, protecting abortion in California. And here in California, as I said earlier, 15 million Christians, second only to Texas, and we lead the nation in abortion, and 7,280,000 Christians aren't registered to vote. And I'm saying, why God? We've, we, as a church, in 50 years, we've never owned more property, had bigger churches, had more buildings. And yet to try to get a pastor to engage in the culture, to, to speak truth to the sovereign, the people, as, as pastors are the, are the counselors to the king. The, the king sits and he, he requires counselors. And, and, a, and a wise king receives counsel. And you're the king. And you're raising your hand. Who needs counsel in relation to a voter guide? And you raise your hand. Bless you. Because first of all, you raise your hand because you're registered and you want to do right as the sovereign to your people. And secondly, you, you seek counsel and wise counsel. And you don't take it at face value. You'll do your own research. But there are times where you don't have enough time. And as a king, they don't have enough, a lot of time. So they re, re, refer to counselors they know are trustworthy. And I'm a counselor to a king. My job as a pastor is to make sure that those who want to affect the world for Christ are well-educated and equipped to do so. And so when we look at a a state that is struggling and we see two candidates vying for consent of the king to reign, or excuse me, to to rule in, in their stead with power on loan, our responsibility is, they'll get used to it as they grow into it. It's how we do it at a church. And we just start the kids young. And But the king will require this. And so I come to you and I say, you have two candidates. And in the last gubernatorial election where, where Brown ran against uh, Neil Kashkari, uh, he wasn't a great candidate in the opposing party and he lost by 1,400,000 votes for governor. And there are 7,280,000 evangelical Christians that are on the sideline. You, you, we could dominate every election in the state. Every election. 
if we just wake up and start to rule on behalf of our people. You are the sovereign, we the people. And so my prayer with this idea of of loosing the, the bonds of wickedness is, God, would you wake up the king? God, would you remove this bondage of apathy because silence in the face of evil is complicit with evil itself? Lord, wake the king up. Lift this bondage upon the body of Christ that has caused them to be apathetic and silent to rule in favor of the people they've been entrusted to care for. And asking God to wake up the counselors. Lord, please. We did one event in in San Diego and another event in Orange County where pastors came up and they were awakened. We're doing one tomorrow in Fresno asking that God would awaken the pastors. They had a short one, runway of three weeks. We didn't have funding. It came miraculously. And, and this, even this short runway, they've had remarkable numbers signing up for this in Fresno, the epicenter of California, where I believe there will be ripples that will touch the entire state. We have a little bit longer runway of a, another extra three days in Riverside. And, and, and the signups, considering the amount of time, have been remarkable. And we're praying for an awakening in Riverside. We're watching this all across the country and asking God to remove the bonds of wickedness, these shackles, these constraints that have caused them to be silent and apathetic. God, your, your people need you. Wake up the king. Wake up the counselors to the king. God, do something, please. And my heart was so full and so overjoyed because interceding, this was his heart. Because he said, I've called you into this type of a fast. This is exactly what I've wanted you to do. We get so busy doing things and we think our relationship is in doing. But in a fast, especially in Isaiah 58, God tells us to stop doing two things. The first one is he says, I want you to stop eating food. And they said, the Sabbath at the end of Isaiah 58, he says, I want you to stop working and honor the Sabbath. You're so busy working, you don't have a relationship with me. My relationship with the Lord went so much deeper during this period of time. One of the things I enjoyed the most is sitting with my wife after she would wake up later in the morning and she'd have her cup of tea and I had read and I had prayed and my heart was full and I'd sit next to her and I started to enjoy just the simplicity of holding her hand. I actually even turned to her and I said, I miss this. I, I, don't, I don't hug you and hold your hand enough. Because God had restored my relationship with him and it was restoring my, my relationship with my wife. And I love her hands and she's fun to hug. I was looking at Kelly singing up here, and I watched her yesterday over at the Waypoint Cafe, and that girl can eat like her daddy. She has her daddy's appetite, but she's got her mama's figure. How do you do that, girl? (laughs) Sorry, that was embarrassing. That's the problem of being a pastor's child. But as I'm, I'm thinking of this, this is what God wants for us. And folks were saying, you know, Fasting, I'm concerned with you. And folks would call in the congregation saying, I, I just worried about you and, and you really have to watch out and this is unhealthy. And, and I heard all of those. And I knew that everyone's intention was noble and honorable and loving. And I was blessed by every one of those folks. But God called me to this. And I would agree with you. I, I wouldn't do this if, if it was to lose weight. It's, it's, it's troublesome. It's difficult. But I, I, I sat down one day and I watched a, a, a program called The Science of Fasting. And of course I read copious amounts on fasting because I wanted to make sure I was doing it right at least 
in regards to my body so as not to hinder anything and, and wanting to heed the concerns of those in the congregation because I knew your desire was, was, was loving. And I came across this and I, I, did a, I saw a study by a doctor at USC that has been instrumental in, uh, in changing chemotherapy across the country. A fascinating study. It's a landmark study. Take a look at this. This is water fasting and how it works. This is a chromosome in normal mode, one of the human body chromosomes, whether it's a skin cell from the pancreas or the liver or anywhere in the body. This is a picture of the chromosome in normal mode, and this is done by Dr. Longo at USC. You can, you can Google Dr. Longo, USC. You can read all about this. I'm not making this up. And he said, when fasting kicks in, this is what happens. Water fasting, chromosome after 48 hours of water fasting, the red region is the protection mode. It adds a layer of protein to each cell for protection. So you have this blue chromosome, you start fasting. 48 hours later, the human body and every cell puts a layer of protein forward in protection mode. So now you're designed for war. You know what happened while I was fasting spiritually? War. War. I was fighting and laboring in areas that I had never done before in the heavenly realms, praying for a release of all the things God had listed in this passage that we're about to take a look at. I found myself contending in ways I'd never done before. I started to realize that one of the greatest strengths we have is while I was contending, it was almost as though a curtain was lifted and I realized that I am not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities. And, and I read that, and, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But I started to understand it, that the one thing the enemy possesses, and I had shared this not only at Nets Gomez's church, but also at uh, Steve Wilburn's church and also in Santa Barbara, was this picture that God had refreshed my memory on in 1 Samuel 17 when Goliath was in the Valley of Elah. You had the Israelites on one mountain, the Philistines on the other, and they were all there, and the Israelites were paralyzed by a 9-foot, 10-inch giant, and the Philistines, in the first two verses, it says that they were in Soko, which belongs to Judah. And I started to share with these congregations and the folks in Santa Barbara that we think that that story is a story on how to kill a giant. And the clarity of it is, it's not a story on how to kill a giant. It's a story on how paralyzed God's people are by fear to allow Satan to occupy territory that rightfully belongs to God. And if you take off the head of the beast, the people are inspired to push evil out of the territory that belongs to God. So the bondage that your children are in, the bondage that you're in, the depression, uh, the drug addictions, uh, the pornography, and all these things, these are go-tos in a time of struggle that you just check out. And you're put on the sidelines, and you're paralyzed on the mountain, and you're not pushing the ball forward. You're not engaging. And when you enter into this place and you bring your life into submission to the Lord as he's called you to it, all of a sudden you realize that the only thing that hinders everyone on the mountain is fear. And you step out in a boldness to say, you know what? If God is for me, who can be against me? I'm immortal till God's done with me. Let's do this. And as I watch guys like John Short and Doug Nichols step forward and Sandy Everett, they're stepping forward knowing that they're going to be attacked watching the visceral back and forth in this community that is just destroying civility and saying, don't let that affect you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. They're not the enemy. They're the opportunity. Pray that God would loose the bonds of, of, of this misery and this, this caustic nature in our community that there would be peace once again. 
Start to intercede on the heavenly realm and start to touch people's lives. Step into these areas you've never stepped in. And all of a sudden your eyes are opened and God showed me this one man and God constitutes a majority. And this is why fasting is so vital because all of a sudden it gives you strength and courage you never had before. As I interceded for the congregation, God opened my eyes to a number of foundational studies and wanting to see God's word established that we would have a biblical vernacular in our church and start to work with the women's ministry and the men's ministry. We've got all kinds of plans in the coming year. It's thrilling. We have plans to do a prayer service that's going to be unlike anything you've seen. I'm excited about what God's shown us. And that all comes from this alignment. I didn't make this up in my mind. It was something that he spoke to my heart. And you see this. We're geared for war. Now, what's fascinating is that when you step into 48 hours of fasting and it puts this layer of protein in front of every cell, the cells become prepared for war. And if the body is invaded by cancer, cancer is a selfish disease that consumes itself and then steals another fresh cell and steals another fresh cell and it becomes this mass. And that mass ultimately destroys the internal organs and kills the body. And for a church to be healthy, I was saying, God, let everyone serve. Let everyone, you have, you have fingers, you have toes, you have every member of the body, not unto themselves where they're selfish, but they're all working for a common cause that our heart would be unified to the Lord. That we would have hearts of servants as we just memorize that passage. A normal cell versus a cancer cell after 48 hours of water fasting. This was the breakthrough in the study a layer of protection, a protein layer of protection on the human cell on the front of it. And while the body's fasting, the cancer cell does just the opposite. It puts the protection in the back. It puts all of its weakness up front because the cancer cell feeds on glucose, carbohydrates, sugar. And it's feeding on that and looking for it. But because the body has no glucose and you're feeding off your fat cells, your fat cells turn into what they call ketones, And then you get into a stage called ketoacidosis where your body is burning fat cells. And it's amazingly high efficient fuel where everything I was reading was jumping from the pages into my mind and right into my heart. I couldn't read enough. I was attentive. I could handle people talking to me. I could do this. I could do that. I bet at times of being tired. But like I was saying, this out-of-body experience where I'm speaking, words are coming to me. And yet these cancer cells have all their protection in the back searching for glucose. Well, when you put the body into a fast, it weakens these cells because they're dangerous. They're in trouble. The cancer cells are in trouble. And even without chemotherapy, they show these healthy human cells defeating the cancer cells in fasting. And you look at somebody who's going through cancer and you say, I want you to fast. You're like, wait a minute, restrain myself from nutrients while I'm being invaded by cancer? Yes. So he did this study and it was fascinating Dr. Longo from USC wanted to test the benefit of fasting in rats. Ten rats were put on a two-day water fast. Ten rats were fed normally. All were injected with chemo. All the water fast rats survived. All the normally fed rats died. They repeated the test with the same results. Now, they did this in human testing, too, and they're starting to see that this is a revolutionary breakthrough. And you're like, whoa, I think I'd rather have cancer. We are a food-driven culture. Not only does God help the human body, but he also aligns us spiritually with him. It is so interesting to me because Jesus fasted for 40 days, and we're going to see this in in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, as he fasts for 40 days, 
at the end it said he hungered. It almost seems like an understatement, right? It really is an interesting statement, though, that we'll examine shortly that's very profound. But to lighten it up a little bit, because I, I can see on your faces, you're all getting a little tense. You're like, do I got to fast? I love this, this uh, story. There was a man who went in to see his doctor. He was overweight, and the doctor wanted to see if fasting would produce any results for him. The doctor said, I want you to eat regularly for two days, skip a day, and then repeat for two weeks. Eat for two days, skip a day, and then repeat. The next time I see you, you should have lost about five pounds and gotten control of your appetite. After two weeks, the man returned to his doctor and he had lost nearly 60 pounds and the doctor was utterly astonished. He said, that is amazing. Did you follow my instructions? He said, I did, but I thought I was going to drop dead on the third day. From hunger, the doctor said, he said, no, from all the skipping. <laughs> the passage here reads, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? I can't think of a place where this applies more than California. These bonds of wickedness that we have been engaging in since the last 50 years and how we we lead the nation in abortion, no-fault divorce, the way that the culture is imploding. And here we've, we've watched the churches grow at an exponential rate. We own some of the most expensive property in all the state. We've had more bookstores, more radio stations, more megachurches. We're the birthplace of the megachurch. 10,000% growth south of Van Nuys, 350 Calvary chapels. We are a Christian sandbox. And we have watched the culture invaded and our children put in bondage. Bondage, yes. Those two little babies were born with over $100,000 of debt. And that's just federal. Let's add on to that state. We have leveled on the next generation an ungodly debt because 7,280,000 are in bondage of apathy. And we're standing idly by and the counselors are, are silent as we stand idly by while our entire generation that awaits to step into our footsteps as we step off the earth, we're looking and saying, here, take this mess. Good government happens with good people. How do we engage with godly principles to change the culture? What do we do? This bondage is wickedness that is a a drug epidemics. Our schools are 48th in the nation. They're in bondage to, to indoctrination, not education. Our children are 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 we're losing the rights. This this individualism that we've been given. We're watching we're 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 watching racial tensions rise as we're being pitted one against another. And the counselors are silent and and God's people are silent. The king is asleep. Loose the bonds of this this apathy. Loose the bonds that that we need to be awakened. Whatever drug is holding us quiet needs to be lifted. Aren't we finished yet with all the the, the misery that we've leveled on our children? I was reading a book by Dr. Brown called Why is America Sick? 
And he said, here you are in, in 1950s and you're watching Leave it to Beaver and you're, you're seeing, you know, Father Knows Best and, and, and your family's with you and you're having a sit-down dinner and you're having your prayers and you're going to church and all these things are happening. And as you go to bed that night after having said your prayers, you go through a nightmare and you wake up in 2018. And you look at what's on the television, you look at what's being passed, and you look at where your kids are going, and you look how they're dressed and how they're coming home, and all the misery, and you say, what? And for all of us in 2018, we go, well, that's normal. No, it isn't. Well, how did this happen? Because we fell asleep. We need to loose these bonds. We need to awaken our lives. We need to set our children free. We need to pray. We need to contend. This idea that these heavy burdens we've leveled on our children, as I said about the debt with the two twins, and I've talked about uh, the burdens that we've, we've got with these laws that we have to live by and how we've lost our freedoms and how we're watching as, as we're fearful of what the government will do. The children agree with me, hear them. <laughs> to let the oppressed go free. We know what this means. How long will we endure and, and, and accept the oppression of the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax, all of the oppression that we face where we're not allowed to do this in school, we're not allowed to do that in school, we're not allowed to have this or that or all these other things. How long will we allow this? We're praying, we're fasting, and we're simply saying, God, you do it and help me. I wanna be aligned. God, I'm fasting to ask you to do this. I can't preach this second sermon at the core church. God, help me, boom, helps me. God, I don't know what to to do help me boom helps us all of a sudden he lifts my fear he lifts my intimidation he empowers me with strength and joy to accomplish it this is the passage that you break every yoke our kids are like oxen with these big lumps on their neck dragging around the rules that are ungodly and unprofitable and we need to set them free and we need to wake up and i prayed that the body of christ would this 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 bondage of apathy would be lifted and I love this fellowship because you get it. But you step into another church and they look at you like you're from Mars. But another church is so hungry they're waiting for it. People were lined up after that second service crying and wanting to know more and how do we get connected and how do we do what you did. They ask us to go to Santa Barbara to do in Santa Barbara what we've been doing here in Thousand Oaks. I just have to say the, the joy the Lord put on my heart in relation to all of you was so blessed and so grateful. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And I was cracking up because at the end of the sermon, people would come up to me and go, you're anointed, you're anointed, you're anointed. I'm like, what is that word? I came, I'm here, I'm who I've always been. What do you mean anointed? There was just something about you. Well, I know who I woke up with this morning and I know who I'm going home with. And if you're impressed with anything, I got news for you. The same guy that woke up this morning and was in the pulpit, the same guy who's going back, and the same guy I look at in the mirror, and the same guy I live with, if anything you're impressed with, it's the Lord. And if he's chosen this vessel because I've yielded to him, then the glory goes to him. All I'm doing is enduring a fast that he gave me his strength to do because I can't do it on my own because if it was up to me, I would be eating right now. But he gives you this anointing, he gives you this ability, and you speak the word with boldness. The Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In these moments of drought, in these moments of difficulty, as we were interceding for a number of issues, God would bring this peace. He would, he would nourish my soul, he would encourage me. 
I love what my daughter wrote. She says, you get so caught up serving God that you forget to have a relationship with him. I gotta tell you, fasting just lifted that. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. I like that he didn't say the high mountains. He said the high hills because prophetically as I was seeking the Lord and asking him and he had given me such a joy for this fellowship and what God is doing with this hub that is creating spokes around this state. The favor that you give to me to be able to go and speak here and to speak there. The way in which you you minister to a man who comes to speak. The way in which you, you serve in the children's ministry, the way in which you care for one another, the way in which you engage, the way in which you don't get discouraged by political candidates or anything along those lines, you get it. And when he said to me and to my heart, he says, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills, I was so grateful that the passage didn't say high mountain because I listened to Pastor Brad's sermon and I really believe it was prophetic. Prophetic. He has given us this high hill. And he's done it because you're faithful. You love this community. You love God. You're tired of what we've seen. You're waking up. Your heart is being aligned. You're pushing the energies forward like the cells. You're in battle mode. And that battle mode is not with a weapon that's physical, it's with love, that's spiritual. You operate in such a way that the people aren't the enemy, they're the opportunity. You're kind. You're thoughtful. You're fervent. You work hard. Tom Hunt, laying in a hospital bed, said, can't wait to get better. We got work to do. Here's a man who's in his 80s. Congestive heart failure. He had an infection. Then he had to go in for some bleeding and they finally released him. He said, I feel great. Let's get to work. You're all like that. God's given us this gift. This whole passage was one of joy for me, but it was also one of empowerment And I bring you to the last passage, this one to close with. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. He was baptized by John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had come on this earth The song Kelly sang at the end, this reckless love that he pursues us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. He left the 99. And here he gets baptized. The spirit of the Lord falls upon him. And the spirit drives him into the desert and says, don't eat. Don't eat. First day hungry, Merrill's house, pizza. Okay, God. Second day Spirit of the Lord. No hunger. Contending, temptation, struggle. God's speaking to me about things that need to be resolved in my life, things that we need to focus on as a fellowship. This idea of grace and mercy and, and, and tending to the flock with a, a loving hand of a shepherd. 
There I am in this sense of wilderness, of absence of food. It's a place where there's no food that's growing, no food available. I would, I would go to a place where they're serving food and I would feel as though I was a poor person working in a rich man's home and I have no right to their food. That's not mine. All of a sudden I feel this sense of what it's like to be impoverished and to be seeing someone else's food but realizing I can't touch it. In the midst of that, there would be a struggle over here in the family or a pressure over here, something that I have to resolve and I, I, I don't have the energy to do it, but I'd seek the Lord and all of a sudden he'd give me a peace or give me the strength to contend with it. And Jesus, through these 40 days, is just getting hammered, not by a demon. He's getting hammered by the big guy himself. Beazelbub, Lord of the Flies, Satan, Lucifer. You, you give him the name, that's him. And he, he sends him through a series of tests. He says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word meant so much to me during these 14 days. Just, just eating for the first time, it was almost like I didn't want to eat. I so enjoyed being in his presence, I didn't want it to end. It hasn't. It was funny, 14 days, I didn't sneeze once. I eat one meal, I'm sneezing. I'm, not, I, I'm just saying, food has a really interesting way of working on us. And, and, and here Jesus is, is, and every time Satan would attack him, he would respond with the word of God. Satan would try to use the word of God, and he'd take it out of context, and Jesus would respond in context. And, and watching what the Lord did, and then at the end of this, and this is what happened. Second day of the fast, I'm almost finished. Second day of the fast, hunger pain's gone. Going here, going there, going everywhere. Food isn't even phasing me. I'm sitting down uh, with folks at a uh, Mexican restaurant uh, at the lakes. Doesn't even phase me. I'm uh, Santa Barbara, doesn't phase me. I'm, I'm with, it doesn't phase me. Michelle, bless her heart, she tried to cook her meal so I didn't smell anything and everything, but she did pots of stew that were, they smelled pretty good. I'd go to sleep, sleep, dreaming about it. But anyway, but... <laughs> But none of these things affected me. And, and I, even when I ate, I wasn't hungry. But here's what's fascinating. Jesus goes through the 40 days. That is a critical point of a human body where it's dangerous. Because what happens is my body's burning ketosis. I got stored fat cells. My body's turning it into ketones, a high efficiency energy, causing my cells to put that level, layer of protein. I'm fighting, I'm not sick, I feel energized, I'm... I'm just booming. Once I run out of fat cells, it'll start to consume my muscle tissue. And then it starts to go for the internal organs and begins to eat itself. At that point, your body is in danger of dying. And so what the Lord does, the way he wired our body, is he takes you from this ketosis and he goes, wake up. And the body immediately has Hunger desires and pains and a drive for food exponentially worse than any hunger you've ever experienced. The body is saying, if you don't eat, you will die. And that's where Jesus is at this moment. He was hungry. Basically, it's saying he is going to die. Satan comes at the last one. God has forsaken you. Where's, where's, your, where's your God now? And that's where we all get in life. The crisis comes, the weaponry's forward, all of a sudden the body starts to break down and the enemy comes rushing in and he says, where's your God now? And Jesus said, he's coming. And the angels tended to him. 
and ministered to him. And the idea is, he was so aligned, and why did he endeavor that way? Because he loves you. Satan had you in bondage. He's got a hold on you. He's got you in bonds. He's got a yoke on you and he's whipping you like a rented ox. And you've been doing his bidding and you're scared. And the Lord left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation earthly cross. He stepped in to deliver us. We're on the auction block of sin and we're slaves. And he comes in and we see the masters who want to put their yokes on us and they want to whip us. And he says, I'm going to buy you and I'm going to set you free. And in order to do that, I have got to contend and I will fight for you because I love you. And I want you to set everyone else free. I want you to set the captives free. I want you to realize I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then your life becomes right with the Lord. It's an enlightened life. Your light shall dawn in the darkness. It's a guided life. Your light will guide you continually. It's a satisfied life. And satisfy your soul in drought. It's a fragrant life like a watered garden. It is a freshly sustained life. A life like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's a productive and healing life that you shall build up the old waste places. And it says that you want to call God's Sabbath a delight. I think so often many folks just drag themselves in and in here on a Sunday. I read a book years ago called Making Sunday Special. You prepare when the sun goes down on Saturday for when the sun goes down on Sunday to make this a day separate unto the Lord. Stop with everything that takes you away from a communion with God. Cultivate that. God wants to spend time with you. He showed that to me. It blessed me. And then we delight ourselves in the Lord when all this happens. And we delight ourselves in the Lord himself and the mouth of the Lord is spoken, God concludes in this passage. And I close with this. God exposed the emptiness of two religious rituals as practiced in Isaiah's day, fasting and Sabbath keeping. Both of these expressions of not doing things. In fasting, you don't eat. In Sabbath keeping, you don't work. An important aspect of this chapter is showing us that what we don't do isn't enough to make us right before God. Our walk with God shouldn't only be defined by what we don't do. God wants to spend time with us. He wants us to cultivate a relationship with us. That's why the words that my daughter penned to me just before I stepped up to the podium were so profound. You get so caught up in serving God that you forget to have a relationship with him. He loves you. Spend some time with him. Let the Lord minister to your heart. It's a good place to be. It takes away your fear and it lifts the bondage. A right life is a delightful life. <laughs> 